HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers produce over 600 varieties, types, and styles of cheese. That's twice as much as any other state. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. This week on Meet and 3, it's our season four finale, and we're sharing some of our greatest kitchen joys. Maybe most people consider making it too much work or too messy, but this is the food that's worth the work and worth the wait. You always know where the thing is because you put it away the right way the first time. You just sort of stand there and, you know, with your hand on your hip and one leg outstretched, glass of wine in your hand, staring into the refrigerator going, okay, speak to me. Oh yeah, what are you doing with the celery tonight? I'm making a simple syrup for a gin cocktail with the celery. And I also found a recipe for a celery soup that's going to use up the celery and the potatoes and some of that dill that we still have hanging out in there. (laughs) Tune in and be inspired to find the joy in your kitchen. And don't forget to subscribe to Meat in 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guests are Sarah Thomas, Marie Ponsonet, and Katja Scharnagel. We'll talk to Sarah, Marie, and Katja about wine, women in wine, the Bernadine, their projects, and more. We'll taste a Colette Merlot for our weekly wine sip. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Sarah Thomas, Marie Ponsonet, and Katja Scharnagel are all sommeliers at one of the most revered restaurants in the world, Le Bernardine in New York City. Under the tutelage of Aldo Somme, they provide deep skill, knowledge, and personality to the Le Bernardine wine program. Katja is the chef sommelier. Sarah Thomas has also created Kalamata's Kitchen, and Marie Ponsonet just released a very personal wine, a Merlot. We will discuss everything with everyone. All right, we're going to be speaking with Katja, Sarah, and Marie individually. We'll start with Katja Scharnagel. 
Katya, welcome to the Grape Nation. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Um, I've been graced by your services before, so it's nice to sit down with you casually and talk. Um, I want our listeners to get an idea of who you are and where you came from. So give me a little background on your journey in life and wine that got you to where you are today, which is the Chef Sommelier at Le Bernardin. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> Don't take too long. Okay, I was born and raised in Austria in the Wachau, beautiful wine region. Grew up at a winery and kind of was surrounded by wine all my life. Um, initially, I didn't want to become ended up with somebody or in the restaurant business. I wanted to become a kindergarten teacher, but I cannot <laughs> sing and I cannot play an instrument. So okay. kind of like, they were like, nope, this is not going to work for you. And I'm like, okay, what else? So I went to culinary school, um, graduated, worked in great restaurants. And then I visited New York years back for two days and fell in love with the city. And I'm like, maybe I can work here. <laughs> what year was that New York visit? Do you remember? 2009. About? Okay. So 10 years ago. 10 years ago, yeah. Okay. And I started, you know, I was back in the hotel in Austria and was talking to talk to a regular. And he's like, oh, you ever heard about Aldo Som? And I'm like, I've heard about it, but I don't know him. And then he called him. I was like, oh, I have a girl here. She wants to come to New York. So I set up a phone interview with Aldo. And the first thing he's like, you know, listen, this is not sex in the city. I'm like, okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I can work. Of I can, New York you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I visited New York and had a couple of meetings with him, and he was like, you know, if you want to hear, work here, you know, I can help you. So do you. you think the Austrian thing had anything to do with it? I don't know if it was the Austrian thing. Um, but you had worked um, in Austria yes. in hospitality yeah, yeah, at yeah. a couple of fine yeah, places. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. were some of the places you worked at? Uh, I was the major and wine director for a mission star restaurant up right. in a mountainous area, in a ski area, and uh, Aldo grew up not far away from there and we had kind of like the same mentor right. and he recommended me and it was like, you know. Well. So you came from a good line yes. of uh, people. Yeah. Um, so you talked to Aldo and pretty quickly after he says, come and do this with us? Not quite sure because he was like, you know, if you want to work in New York, I can help you to like set up an interview at different ah. restaurants. But I was like, no, I want to work here. Okay. <laughs> and it took me like a year and a half to kind of make it happen. What were like, you, you doing know, in that year and a half? Uh, I was in back in Vienna. I was oh, okay. at, a, you went back at a project, yeah. Okay. For a hotel opening, and then they decided not to open it, and we all got fired. And I was like, oh, cool, I can go to New York. <laughs> so you started here, was it about 10, 9 years ago? Uh, I started in 2011, November 11. 2011. Yes. Right, yeah. so you're going yeah, yeah, on yeah. 8, 9 years. Oh, yes. um, so tell me, did growing up in Austria have any effect or influence? on your love of wine and how has it affected wines you drink today? I mean, were you just cloistered to those wines of the region and you discovered here? How did that open up? Um, I think I started to learn really about wine when I started here because New York is such a fascinating city. You can taste so many things here, you know, it really opens up your mind. In Austria, we love our wines, you know, and growing up in a wine region, that's the only thing pretty much you drink and right. you know, we're very loyal to. But curi curiosity, yeah. I mean, were there Bordeaux around and Burgundies? Oh, yeah, Burg not Burgundy, but Bordeaux and like, right. Italian, Super Toscans right. for red, but for white it was just pretty much But you, you get here and, and like, everything is it here. Exploded. Like, you know, I mean, what, what was your... Um, reaction when you saw the wine cellar? I was pretty intimidated. Like, you know, at the beginning, like, when you start selling the first burgundies, you're like, oh my God, you know, that's, I that's get to crazy. open those wines, you know, and taste it. So We'll talk about that in a minute. 
Um, you are an advanced sommelier, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you have aspirations to become a master sommelier? Or oh, that's, yes. <laughs> are you currently... We just all went for the theory, yeah. so... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that successful, but, you know, so it's the what's, first try. Tell me two things. The easy question first. What's the timeline? I mean, as far as accomplishing yeah. that, if everything goes well, what are we looking at? A year, two years, three? It, hard to say. To, I mean, Minimum everybody of a few kind of years? Like, yes. So everyone wants to try it like in certain amount of years but it's it's a journey you keep on learning you keep on tasting right so you know, everything like, you, you absorb know, along the way yeah. is important there's not like you say okay i want to have this done in two years i think that's impossible to say why why is it important to you to have an ms after your name i think it's more like an ego thing just to I have it accomplished i can do this right. so i feel that's for me but also like moving on to like you know maybe moving into teaching or you know other projects you know so much as I love the restaurant the floor but you know maybe you know you want to start a family you want to have kids you know right it's very tough with working schedule in a restaurant so. I have a, a guest coming on in October Jane Lopes and oh, she yeah. accomplished her MS and there was a mini scandal and they pulled it from her yeah. and she decided you know what I'm not going to go for yeah. it little different, you know, yeah, than yeah. everyone else. She's a little yeah. frustrated and mad, but um, I understand how important it is, and I understand the process, yeah. you know, kind of, like I said, feeds your knowledge and passion. And I think that's the most important thing, and that's how you look at it, just to keep on studying, learning, and, you know, have the knowledge and show it to your guests and be better at When your job. you, I think you said Burgundy, but when you got to New York and you walk into a cellar like this, is that the wine or wines that you wanted to taste most, know more about, was a Burgundy? Yeah, but also American wines, you know, I was like, you know. Really? Oh, in Austria we get like nothing. Like what, like Cali old, Caps? Like, yeah, like old Diamond Creeks or like old, like, you know, that's like, there's some great history behind yeah. it, you know, when you look at it, you yeah. know. And it's the first time you taste them, you're like, wow, um, uh, that's incredible. I'm curious to, um, I'm curious, I mean, I mean I'm surprised mm. that, you know, you said that, but that's nice. All right. I'm very interested, because this is sort of a hallowed institution, La Bernadine. I'm very interested, and walk me through a busy day, but what's a typical day in the life of the chef sommelier at a Le Bernadine? Um, I mean, how long? Yeah. What are you doing? I mean, we know you're opening wine and <laughs> serving it, but there's yeah. a lot behind oh, the curtain. Yeah, yeah. It's like just a tasting appointments in the morning. Um, with who? With vendors or, you know, or we go to office tasting. Aldo and I do the tastings all together. Are you doing that every day a few Not times every day, a week? I mean, like, are you know, doing that yeah. every week, a few times a week? We have, like, periods where we're pretty active. And right. then you're, like, during the summertime, not so much, you know. But uh, I also do, like, all the private events. So it's a lot of emails, you know, that are coming in. So it's, Do you a, go out to do portfolio tastings? If sure, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what about inventory? Oh yeah, totally. Love it. <laughs> isn't that the worst thing? No, I love it. I love you numbers. Do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you have to schlep around boxes of wine? Absolutely. Part okay. of our job. We're a great team and we all work together. So. Right. <laughs> I still now, love cellar work, you know. <laughs> what's interesting is many, many years ago in New York, there were about eight sommeliers in the whole city. Now you walk into a Le Bernardine or an Eleven Madison, 
and there's more than a handful. How many people are working with you? Uh, we currently eight on the team. So on any given night, how many people would be um, on the floor? Four, definitely, and then one for private events, you know, so. Right, yeah. and there's a lot of times private events are yeah, happening yeah. simultaneous yeah, to yeah, dinner service yeah. and all of that. Yeah. So everyone just fans out on the floor and just starts popping uh, the best bottles and all of that. And the pairings, and you know, it's, it's fun, it's great. So let's talk about that. Um, you said pairings. You have a very um, extensive wine list. Um, how large is it? I like a thousand positions. It's always changing. You a know? thousand so, different yeah, positions. Yeah, yeah. Way more yeah, bottles. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're always acquiring, yeah. selling yeah, out yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Um, are there a lot of verticals? Not nah. that much. To That's be not important. No, no. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's also, we're keeping buying and selling pretty much every day. So we have like a very right. good rotation of our wine list. Do you keep, for regular customers, which a place like this has, right? Do you keep in mind that this guy is a 80s Bordeaux lover, so you'll always make sure you'll have what he likes Definitely or that is. year yeah. around? Yeah. You know, you don't want to say no yeah. to anybody. Yeah. Um, so the, the list skews heavily French. Yeah, definitely. It's burgundy and, you know, white and red, but also a little kind More of burgundy than Bordeaux? Yeah, a little bit more burgundy than Bordeaux. Okay. <laughs> we used to have a lot of Bordeaux as well. And Know, but also Austrian, German wines, yeah. Spanish wines. Well, we know that. <laughs> so let's talk about that. So a lot of Burgundy, a lot of Bordeaux. What about American? You talked about oh, yeah, yeah, definitely a little bit. Yeah, all yeah, the white and cats yeah, and yeah, all yeah, of that. Yeah. Then after that, yeah. there's a good showing of Austrian and German, German wines. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, where does it go? You said Spain. Spain, Portugal, a little bit Italian, you know, okay. trying to be like... Not that much like, Italian? You know, not that much Italian. <laughs> okay. A little bit Barolos and stuff, but not that much, yeah. It's funny, I guess yeah. because of the type of restaurant and the type of food, Italian is not the most compatible. I don't know, we didn't kind of like look, to be honest, uh, like it's not really our focus, you know, so... Right. What in your mind is the most interesting wine on the list? What do you, you walk in the cellar and you look at that and go, oh man. Or type, I mean, what does anything... There's so many cool things on there. There's like very old legendary wines, but there's also some new fun stuff. We try to keep it as approachable and fun for everybody. So we have stuff for like their Bordeaux lovers that are coming in. But we also want to have a list for our young people that are coming in and spend the, mon the money that they have at La Bonada, but want to have them serve a bottle that's like 60 or $70, and it's what we stand right. behind, and we have fun opening for them, you know? So a lot of people, when they come into a restaurant, and even to the next level, a restaurant, you know, of this mm -hmm. status, are intimidated. That's the yes. oldest Psalm story. You know, they either think they want to know more than you or they shut down. How do, what advice, let's talk fine, fine dining. Mm -hmm. Let's talk the Le Bernardines and all the other two, three-star restaurants. When somebody walks into a restaurant, how should they approach wine and the wine list? What would you advise them to do? I 
just straight out and like ask for for the family is like what excites you what's new or like you know i mean and then just be open also with the price point sometimes you know people coming in and they feel like they have to spend like x amount right but they actually kind of like not confident with it and just be honest about them tell what you like or you don't like you know so i think the first takeaway on that is you have to talk yeah you have let us to, know what you like you have to express we'll make it happen you know I, I think two things you yeah. pointed out and i agree with you or what do you like? Yeah. And then I guess the psalm could dig in yeah. deep. And price. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing worse than bottle shock, right? Yeah. That, that bottle shock face. You know, what did I do here? Yeah. Um, what about on your end? I mean, do you feel you have to pull out of people a little? You know, what do you like? What yeah. types and all of that? It's, and is, it, like isn't people, that on yeah, you? Yeah. I mean, if a, if, a, if a customer is kind of quiet or shy... I mean, will you take the time to... Oh, definitely, you have to, because that's what we're here for. We try to, like, you know, be helpful and also, like, make the best guest experience, you know? Right. And, you know, and sometimes people come in and it's like, oh, my God, we don't drink white one, but I guess we have to because it's a seafood restaurant, you know? And I was like, no, what do you usually drink? What is that excites you, you know? And if it's a bottle of, like, big and bold red, you know, we have this here, too, you know? And if this is, makes you happy and this is going to be the best experience... Why not? You know. So well, it's it's funny you it's say that because I know, think it's more about the guest. Hundred percent makes them happy. You know. But I think probably currently and certainly in the past, you know, there was psalms that are like, "Oh, you can't drink red with, you know, fish yes. or whatever." But you know, anything goes. Absolutely. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. You know, in that yeah. sense, um, most valuable wine on the list. I had Aldo on the show, and yeah. I. I Against my own judgment, I asked him, you know, what's the most expensive bottle or, or you know, he said, I'm not going to divulge that, but, you know, in an Aldo kind way and all that. <laughs> but what, what's the most interesting, valuable wine? Is it typically Burgundy? I was a yeah, dollar amount, yes, definitely Burgundy. Like a DRC <laughs> yeah. or a Lusso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are those the most valuable wines in the cellar? I mean, there's nothing. There's some certain things where you just like, you know, you like... You know, you get them once a year in, like, you know, and like, you know, oh my God, you know, we just got a case or we managed to get a case and all the sums are jumping on it and sell it in within like four days. And you're like, God damn it, we worked so hard to get this wine in. It's you know? crazy, right? <laughs> and it's like these revered like, wines, okay, they you. come in once a year, you get 12 bottles. And it's not like the dollar one, it's just because they're so exciting and good and like, you know, everybody loves them. And like, oh. I would think that a restaurant like this has connections, not connections, relationships, um, and access totally. because you have Certain deeper pockets because yeah. you turn yeah. it around yeah. you know so you get first dip so I guess what you're implying is maybe that case you're getting no one else is getting it or they're getting a bottle yes but, but what, still, you know. what happens I mean when a case of so and so comes in mm -hmm. and you know you have customers that like that yeah. wine will you reach out to them will you hold it for them like if I'm a regular here mm -hmm. and I come in and I drink Rousseau or something mm -hmm. and I come in two weeks after the wine and you say to me, oh, we got a case and we yeah, sold yeah. everything out, I would be so upset. Yes. So <laughs> no, we don't tell you, them. <laughs> you don't. No. But no, will you reach really out to them? or no, It's here no, for... No, it's here and, you know, yeah. And certain customers, you know they like that. So you'll say, we just got... We just, yeah. It'll make them like, you know, if they come in for dinner, it's like, oh, listen, we just got this in. It's not going to be long, you know. It, yeah, you know. Is there still a time where somebody orders a wine, you go downstairs and it's gone, like for whatever inventory or bookkeeping record? 
No, it happens because we're four sommeliers on the floor, you know. So it happens that somebody sells the last bottle, and you literally just right. So it's took situational situation, that night, yes. that hour, yeah. and all of that. Yeah. That Anybody ever get really pissed off? No. No, we're professionals enough, and then we go back and you know talk to them. And it's like maybe I have a second choice, or you know. So. How do you? How do you monitor your wine? Is it computerized and everything? Is it pretty much manual? Um. We have like a system, inventory system, and go through. But also, like you keep on looking on the wine list, and we talk about it. And it's like, okay, so what do you think? Where we need something? But it's more like hands down, and just go through our like certain areas. We're like, okay, um, come back to the Spanish wines, or like you know, um, Tenerife. You know, it's a hot area, so we taste a lot of them. And I was like, okay, you know, maybe that could be interesting for. We kind of like have to have moving wine list, right. so certain things are will be always on there. But there are fun parts where we can adventure a little bit out and do How new much things. of that type of thing on the wine list is dictated by your guys' desire to bring in newer wines or regions versus customers asking mm-hmm. for it? Is this a traditional wine list customer? And it's you guys that are introducing it, or are people saying, "How come you don't have?" You know. No, I think it's we introducing. You are yeah, yes. So yeah, it's coming yeah. more from yeah. you guys yeah. in that sense. I, I would think so. Um, is there room? Like, let's say fall is a big tasting month. Mm-hmm. Portfolio yeah, tasting. Yeah. Vendors are in town. Winemakers are at, you know the grand tasting and all that stuff. Um, if there's a time where there's a lot of good wine. Is there enough room to put wine on, or you have to be careful how much you could add? Careful, and then, but also like you make like a plan, basically, where like you have like, okay, this is what we're gonna bring in the next couple of weeks, and then like, you know, you pause, and then you have like a backup list, like, you know, okay, this is things that we tasted, might not have room for now, but bring it on like in a couple of weeks, you know, or if it's really kind of like, okay, we might get just one case, so we buy it and right. put it on the side, you know, and put it on the wine list a little bit later. Right. Um, Let me ask you this and try to think about it and and be honest. Do you feel it's harder to be a woman in the wine world than a man? Do you not notice anything? Do you think working as a woman in the U.S. is different than working in Europe? Is the business different? Are men different? Is the environment different? Has that ever been an issue with you? To be honest, no. no. I never witnessed anything. I never kind of like. I feel like if you work hard and you're interested and you like, you can make things happen. You know, I never kind of like had an experience where like, oh my god, yeah, never. To be honest, it's yeah. not even in Europe when you not were working. Even in Europe, you know? That's great. Sorry. You know, no, there's no apologies. <laughs> I'm happy for you. And it's just not the wine world. It's the world of business. You yeah. know, there's yeah. a whole show yeah. and discussion. You know, on women in business and the financial world representation, it just happens to be that wine is still male dominated. Oh, it's definitely, it's still specifically like a here. You have you know. one of the owners who's a strong woman, and you have you know Aldo, who obviously is very much committed to his people. Who but it's like there. here we have so many great women, like you know our director of finance, she's a woman, Kathy, she's like you know then Karen, so our GM Katie, like they're all like pretty good female strong I think it's an important thing (laughs) for the culture and the environment here all right we do a thing on the grape list on the grape nation every week called the wine list Um, usually we have one guest a week but 
there's not many opportunities when you could sit under one roof, you know, and have the talent, you know, that exists here. So the wine list, we ask our guests five questions about their preferences. I'm going to break it down and split it amongst you guys. So I'm going to give you two questions and all the uh, wine list and the, we're going to try a collect later. We post everything on social media. Okay. So here's your two questions, okay? Give me your favorite wine and food pairing, and then let's look in the through the lens of Labernadine. Yeah. What do we think is the classic pairing here? Okay. So, is there a wine and pairing you grew up wine and food pairing you grew up with, or later on that you just put it out and you go, oh wow, this is yeah. perfect? And it's not something you eat every night yeah, or yeah, every yeah, month, yeah. but um, there's this great Thai restaurant in Queens for all those favorite places for us. And what's we, the name uh, of it? Okay. Uh, and they have like this crispy, spicy pork on there. And this with an old German Riesling is just a die for it. So it has to be an aged Riesling? Can we, like, yeah, it's better with But like, you yellow, said old yellow. right away. Why <laughs> Why old versus, you know, a newer vintage? Uh, what, what does that do? The secondary aroma is like, you have like this, this, okay. this, this the sweetness, that's, but it's not as. So the nuance and complexity there, from yeah. being in the bottle yeah. a little longer. And it's just like, it's so delicious. Like, you have this spicy pork and like. Some, we had some great fun out there. So. That's a good one, and that's <laughs> that's sort of classic. Yeah. I mean, um, Riesling, Gruner, Gewürztraminer are great with yeah. you know Asian yeah. spicy yeah. foods and all that. So that's a good one. We'll post that. Now, we're sitting here and we're thinking about the great food and the great wine. What's what's a classic? Labernadine pairing. And I guess you have to think about this when you do the by the glass and pairing stuff. Um, I think like right now on the chef's tasting made the pairing is like a dead over so with the Weblon and a glass of cooked champagne. I think that's something pretty took, classic and really good. Really good. <laughs> it took over 20 minutes for the word champagne to come up. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's such a perfect wine in life and for a place like this. You know, I think that's fine. I think if somebody stole your aged um, Riesling at the Thai place and gave you champagne, you wouldn't be much oh, worse no. off either, right? <laughs> I that's wouldn't be upset sure. either. All right, here's the second question. So, and this is tough for you, but you're out and around there, and, and put your retail hat on. Can you suggest a wine retail around 15 20 bucks, a red and a white? And here's what I always tell my listeners. I have three boys, they're in their 20s, they're all working, they're starting to make money, they can't be knuckleheads anymore, they can't show up at parties with crappy wine, um, when they're serving dinner, they can't, so they can't, they shouldn't buy wine for $8, $12, and they can't afford $40, 50 yeah. But how do you impress, give me a red and a white for 15 20 and you can give me category, maker, everything, uh-huh. like Muscadet is a category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what would um, you recommend? For so white, I would go to Austria, like a nice printer. I, I think that's so where you may. You know, so let's talk white. Say, like, you know. um, Austria? Austria, yes, definitely. What kind? Gruner, uh, like in, uh, like, from Rochau, Petersburg, Quadi, um, find great, great wines out there for like $15, $18. Do you have a producer you know? if that um, comes to mind? Like Bernadotte, for example. Um, Berg, Spell. Uh, Bernard B E. Oh, Bernard I? Yes, yeah. Bernard O T T I, yeah. He has it's some fun. beautiful and wines. It's great. They're and very like, you never can miss it. All right, so that's yeah. uh, good for the white. Yeah. Um, suggest a red to me in that price range. Red's always a little tougher. Yeah, it is. 
but I would go to Spain to be honest. Um, Good call. Yeah, we get great, great. Um, I play like, um, Monterey. We have one on um, Mencia based uh, red. You can find great quality for like you open it and have fun with it. So for Mencia, yeah. yeah. Um, any particular makers? Um, just put one on the list. Um, it's you called Ananda, but I've, I've all right. Yeah, you know what? You. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. off air, and yeah, I'll put yeah. it on our social yeah. media. So go with. Uh, Austria for the white and Spain for the red. Good calls. All right, Katya. I think we covered a lot. I want to thank you for sitting with us. We thank you so much for having Katja me. Katya Chardonnay. Katya is the chef sommelier at Le Bernardin. So when you come in here, um, look for her with her testament and their uniform. But everyone else is walking around like that. Oh, totally. We have an amazing team but here. But you'll find her. <laughs> um, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Since the mid-1800s, before Wisconsin was even recognized as a state, its resident cheesemakers have been putting the art into artisan cheese. When early settlers from Switzerland, Germany, and Italy came to Wisconsin, they brought their cheesemaking expertise with them. They chose Wisconsin because the terroir reminded them of the homes they'd left behind in northern Europe. The soil and water of Wisconsin is nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin's cheesemakers draw from their rich European heritage and cheesemaking traditions and combine them with incredible innovation to produce half of the nation's specialty cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers never stop experimenting, trying to improve, and dreaming of your next favorite cheese that has yet to be imagined. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. Sarah Thomas is an advanced sommelier at Le Bernardine and co-founder and chief imaginator at Kalamata's Kitchen. Welcome to the Great Nation, Sarah. Thank you very much. Um, can you, there's a lot going on with you, can you give us a quick background on your journey in life and wine that got you to Le Bernardine and also your more than passion project, Kalamata's Kitchen? And... I think you started in Western PA, so get me out of there quickly and (laughs) let's talk about it. Well, I got out of there pretty quick, too. Um, I was born and raised in Somerset, Pennsylvania, which is like the middle of nowhere. (laughs) A small town. I left when I was 16, uh, went to college in Virginia, went to grad school in England, uh, did a master's in Renaissance English literature. Um, In England? In England, yeah. University of Cambridge. Cambridge, Yeah. right. Harvard, yeah. No. <laughs> Shut up. It's fine. Right? Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, it's like living in Harry Potter world. It was wonderful. I loved right. it. But I, um, I, the year before that, I had been working in a school for um, intellectually disabled children in India. When I did my masters, I Why started to India. My my family's from South India, from right. Kerala. Um, I was born and raised here, but I, right. I used to go back to stay with my grandparents. Every so you summer. had family to visit. Yes, I, my grandparents were there. Um, so the connection to go back and teach. Correct. Was- Family. Yes, and they were doctors, and I we always had that compulsion to like, especially work with children. Right. Um, and at, that's when I started to think uh, maybe I should. I had started in college as pre med, and then I switched to literature and politics. And then when I did that, um, I thought I should go back to medicine. So um, wait, you start in pre med because typical pressure from. <laughs> 
you know, that generation Indian family is yeah. like, this is kind of what I got to do. A lot of my, a lot of my family members, including my father, are physicians. Okay. Um, and none of my brothers are, and neither am I. But oh uh, <laughs> it's okay. It's all. Are fun. you the outcast? Be- I, I was for a little bit. I was you the first You better sell this. You have a half an hour. <laughs> no, it's it's all fine now. I know. Um, <laughs> but I, I came back and I I started the um, to do to study for medicine again, and uh, I sort of caught this restaurant bug. I was also working as a bartender um, just on the side in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, yeah. And uh, it, I started. But you said to- caught the restaurant buzz. Was it there? Or yeah, just... it was in, in Pittsburgh. Okay. I, I just, I don't know what it was. I got this, I got in my just head like that I that. wanted to be a bartender. Like I just decided, I was like, well, I need to do something on the side. I'm going to be a bartender. So I started doing that. I poetically like romanticized it and was like, oh, I studied uh, alchemical metaphors in, 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 in Renaissance literature. Now I'm bartending, duh, whatever. And, um, but then I, I started to fall in love with wine as well. And then at a certain point, I just had to like make a decision. It's, I, I started to see wine as this extension of all the things that I loved studying. Um, I realized it was as academic a pursuit as anything I had done before. And I also saw that I would reach a path to be a teacher um, and an entertainer in a way at a much quicker pace if I did this. Um, And so I I sort of shifted my focus uh, and decided to go wholeheartedly into wine. And then I um, was working in a small restaurant called Bar Marco in Pittsburgh for a number of years. Um, and I was working there when I came to New York on a, on a whim to visit some friends. Did, did Bar Marco have a decent wine program? We had a natural wine program. They that did. was my That was my intro to the okay. wine world. Um, so let what me tell you what year was I, that? I started there in, gosh, what year was that? 2011, 2012, something okay. like that. Um, and uh, 2014, I came to New York on a whim to visit some friends happened to meet Aldo through an introduction through... The whim was not to relocate or... No, I had no desire to ever live in New York. You just were visiting, hang. Correct. Okay, And And I was a surprise that my cousins brought me to eat at the bar at La Bernadette, which was... I was like, wow, I didn't realize you liked me that much. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and I didn't... I also didn't know that they knew Aldo. Um, And so they called him over. I was like so starstruck and intimidated by him. You knew of him? Of course. Of course. Um, And I followed him on Twitter, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, now Instagram. Yeah, now Instagram. And um, at the time, Twitter, yeah, I think. And he he they told him that I was a sommelier and I was like, no, no, I'm not. Don't don't look at me. And uh, he he blind tasted me on my meal, which was like the most harrowing experience of my life. But casually. I mean, he was super nice about it, but I was so, I was nervous, obviously. I mean, he's so, he's, he's Aldo. Right. Um, he was super nice about it though, but he never told me what any of the wines were. Um, but you know, fast forward by the end of the meal, he never, he never told me what I got right or wrong, but he did start to talk to me about my career. And he said, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I, you know, maybe I'm going to move to Philadelphia. And he like laughed at me. <laughs> he was like, okay. Like um, if you're from Western Pennsylvania, yeah. Philadelphia is like where you wind up. Yeah. I was, I <laughs> never, I never had it in my head that I wanted right. to be here. And, um, I had a great opportunity there actually. I mean, like I, there's great restaurants there, yes. great opportunity. And, um, he said, you know, well, you know, if, if I offered you a job here, would you ever consider moving to New York? And I like, I started laughing. And then I stopped That's laughing and I, I realized he wasn't laughing. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, I get, yeah, sure. And he goes, all right, email me. Um, and then I, I did. And he said, do you want to come in and, and, and meet us? I'm opening a wine bar. Um, and I think you'd be a great fit. So I, I, it was at all within the span of like two days. Uh, wow. I so, met him and I came in and he said, all right, can you start it? <laughs> and we have staff training in a month. Wow. I was like, okay. 
so and then I moved to New York. A couple of things. That was um, that was five years ago this month, I think. Yeah. And I think the second thing is that um, the fact that he was opening a wine bar was a good segue to get in and oh totally right I, I don't can't, know if you would have been right for Le Bernardin no, at that I, moment I certainly wouldn't have been I yeah. certainly wouldn't have been I was at the wine bar for nine months and I honestly think it was like boot camp for me to right. the New York wine scene yeah. because it was from the day the place opened it was you know every sound in the city was coming in all of those winemakers people that I've only read about and followed and I was so starstruck first of all Second, the pace is completely different from anything I'd done before. Um, and third, just the expanse of the wine list, the uh, what is available in New York City was just like, it was it was literally a crash course boot camp. I was exhausted and terrified and tired pretty much every night, but I, I loved it also. I was so addicted right. to it. It was feeding. It was, oh my gosh, I was so driven by it. And Aldo gave me such good advice because he could see a couple times that I, you know, I would just get really stressed. I wasn't sure I was doing things correctly. Right. I, I wasn't sure I was good enough. Um, and Aldo said, New York's going to make you the sharpest you've ever been in your life. Um, but just make sure that it doesn't grind you too fine because then you become useless. And advice. I've, yeah, I've held that. That was, he told me that I think one of the first weeks that I moved here. I think we'll talk about that a little later too. I think because it was Aldo had an impact, you know, on your ascension could have been someone else with not that type of empathy or thought process. Totally. Right? I mean, kudos to Aldo. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, even from that then to the transition to the Bird and after, like, I think nine months at the wine bar, even that, like, it was another crash course into into wine. But he, exactly to your point, he was an empathetic guide for all of it. And I'd ask Katya this, because she had come from Austria, to the States and to La Bernadine. You were in Western Pennsylvania and at one good restaurant. I mean, had you tasted a lot of different wines and regions? Had you tasted through a decent amount of Burgundies and Bordeaux? Because when you come here, it's all there. Yeah. <laughs> Except for maybe some Italians. But were you, was this a big, not step up, but a big exposure to wines that you huge had exposure, huge exposure. I mean, I um, I certain I wasn't tasting super classic wines for sure. We tasted really right. widely. Um, I would say we had and a, natural and too. yeah, and, so you, yeah. you were in that. I, I was in that camp initially, and uh, it was my intro into wine. Um, for a lot of the romanticism behind it, right? The stories and whatnot. But we did taste widely there, but not classic. Right. Um, and so definitely when I came here, it was a massive exposure and I, I I was burning through this list like I just I loved it it was it was a lot of fun for me remind me of this because it's been in the newspapers um, or magazine articles and all of that it's not a controversy but the issue of at fine dining when you order a bottle of wine do you taste the wine first do you now defer to the customer do you give it to because there's in the stories there's like I wanted to taste that first. You know, why did you open it? What's what? At least here, what's the protocol? 
Well, here, I mean, for me, I, I always encourage people to remember that this is actually a courtesy to the guest because I'm not trying to drink your wine. No. Certainly, it's Most it is. Customers know that, but there's <laughs> I know. that one. I, 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 it's 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 literally just to make sure that you're having the best expression of this bottle. Um, and here we do have the ability to, if if it's not showing absolutely perfectly, I don't want you to drink it. So we just do, we just taste what we can to make sure that the wine is showing as we think it's appropriate. Um, and then we do also offer a taste to the guest because at that point, at least we know then that the wine is showing correctly. But if it's not to the guest's liking, no questions asked, we'll take it away and do something else or bring another bottle. It's, it's, it's not a problem here. I mean, I don't want to waste time asking this question, but I'm so curious. So you guys are literally trained palates. How often do you know a wine is good and the customer says, this isn't good and you know it doesn't it, matter but it's, is <laughs> is it all, all more often than you'd think or no no i mean i think that people trust us um yeah. I, I think when it comes down to it if someone doesn't like something i don't ask i don't question like at that point i know if the right. wine's good or not that's i don't that's why they're here it's I, it's we're on. just here for for them to have the best experience I possible so whatever moves the experience in a positive direction because we'll every now and then you get a customer who's a know-it-all or to make an impression in front of people and it's your job to sort of handle that it's it's my job to step away and right. let them <laughs> live their lives um, as I've been doing the show and this is our third year um, we have the luxury in New York of everybody coming through authors producers um, and the best sommeliers you know in the world and even in the three years I've been doing the show it almost seems like there's a new guard of sommeliers, and I kind of put you in that category. Thank you. Um, and that, you know, all the vitals, younger, you know, not doing this forever, a different point of view. I mean, do you agree with that to any extent? You're in the most traditional of places, yeah. but, I mean, do you feel you bring a, a new perspective or... Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think that that's one of the biggest strengths of our team. Um, I think certainly people are sometimes surprised, actually, when they walk in and they see the diversity on our team of women, of people from different backgrounds, um, of different age groups. And I always say that in any team, a diversity of perspectives is only going to strengthen any program. Um, it also increases the guest experience because now you have a wealth of backgrounds, um, knowledge levels, experience levels um, to draw on to make a guest experience more personal and, and more approachable. Um, so I think that's so well said. And I Thanks. think that's the reality that should be. I don't think it necessarily exists as much as we'd like it to. You know, I think when you walk into wine programs, there's still a lot of men. Um, the diversity isn't necessarily there. Um, so it's really nice to see that. And I think, you know, you articulated that right. And again, you know, kudos to Alan, um, Aldo. Um, do you think being a young woman, not just a woman, a young woman, a woman of color um, in this business has any disadvantage? I mean, do you, the old stories, you walk up to a table for wine service and they go send the psalm over? It's happened, but it doesn't really bother me that much. Um, I, I've, I've never really known any other way. You know, right, so. right. You're comfortable <laughs> with yourself. I and know, you, I am. You know. um, I'm, I'm lucky. I think uh, we have a very receptive um, 
we have very receptive guests. We have very kind guests. Uh, New York is so diverse. Um, I I know that I can only speak from my own experience. Um, you know, certainly there's some uncomfortable questions here and there uh, that I wish would go away. Things like, you know, what it's, where people ask people like me, like, well, what are you? Or like, where did you come from? And they don't believe me when I say Pittsburgh. It, it, those kind of things often feel like you're having to prove why you're here, even if it does come from a point of like curiosity about your background. Sometimes I think... I think half is... I think I always take curiosity it. Sincere exactly. curiosity, and the other half is what the and you know. No, and, and you know what? To be completely honest, I choose to take a hundred percent of those questions as um, I always assume the best intentions whenever right. I get those. So for me, it's like I it it doesn't it doesn't bother me. I don't see I don't see a disadvantage to being me. No, no, <laughs> but, no. I, um, no. I, I agree with that, um, and I think it's obvious at a restaurant like this you have to conduct yourself. You know, at a certain level, which is what's expected of this type of service price. You know, the customer wants that. Maybe in another place, you could say, "Hey, buddy, you want to step outside?" But you know, not. But you <laughs> yeah, wouldn't well, do that. Yeah, well, they take me very anyway. seriously. They hired me from a muscle here, obviously. So yeah, <laughs> obviously. Um, before we talk about Calamata's Kitchen, I wanted to ask you a couple other things about Little Bernadine. Um, this is a traditional wine list for good reason, skews French for good reason. Um, I think we all agree the wine world is changing. I think there's emerging regions that are getting high praise and are interesting. And I also think there's this natural wine movement going on, which, you know, I'm glad you had brought it up that you had some exposure. How does that play into a place like Libernadine. Kachi and I talked about it a little, but how do you, is the clientele asking for it? Is it, like I asked Kachi, is it up to you to push it there? Is natural wine, whole separate show, but is it a good fit for the clientele? I mean, how do you view what's going on with what's going on in the world and what's going on here. They're the same world, but they are also two worlds. Yeah, um, same world but two worlds is correct. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the, the wine has to taste good for it to be on our list. So we do have some natural natural producers and biodynamic producers and, uh, on the list, but they're not. They're generally not people who like tout themselves as as such. Right. It's not the gimmick. That's of the a wine. whole other show. And it's a whole different. That's a whole different conversation. Right. At the end of the day, if the wine tastes good, it's a good fit with our food. It maybe exposes people to a region that we're excited about, and then then we'll consider it. Um, and as Katya said, uh, I think that we we do have a pretty um, traditional. Uh, traditional guests, I think, traditional drinkers, but we also have a lot of those people who are very open, who've come to trust us, who are very open to trying new things. Um, and I, honestly, I think I've learned a ton about, like, really cool Spanish wines recently, because that's a uh, an area that Aldo and Katya decided to dive into in the last um, year or so. It's a good and call. It's been awesome. Because I mean, there's a rich amount of product coming out. Absolutely. Amazing young producers, um, great values, and also I think it's really important to remember that here, while we do sell some extremely valuable bottles and the, the collector bottles and, and the, the unicorn bottles, we have bottles at 45 to $60 as well. We have bottles in every price range for, for the people who are coming in and who are, this is a, this is a real, this is a very special experience for them. We want them to leave with the 
happiest possible feeling. As you said earlier, no bottle shock. Um, we, I think all of us are, that's what, another one of the strengths of the team is I think we're very good at reading where people are comfortable. It helps when they're very honest up front about, right. about their price points. Price and yourself. knowing that I think people are very pleasantly surprised sometimes when they look at the list and they see that, oh, they, you can buy a bottle for $60. Not only can you, we're all excited about it and it's going to be delicious. One of my favorite bottles on the list is $90. And I'm like, this, this is great. Would you say what it is? The Guazzo um, Bourgogne Blanc. We, we pour it by the glass. Who's it's the maker? Guazzo. Spell. It's from the Coteau Zero. Spell it G-O-I-S-O-T. Okay. Right? Guazzo. <laughs> so Spelling that's here. I mean, if you went out retail, it's a terrific value. Yeah. Obviously, right? It's, it's uh, I mean, if you can find it, I think we bought it all. Sorry. <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> all of you? <laughs> well, come here I'll and drink it. I'll have to follow you home and take a few. Um, I think one of the great points you made is that when you walk into fine dining restaurants, you get intimidated, but those restaurants have access to some of the best wines that everyone else doesn't have at that price range and more interesting you know, so there's a little, there's a lot of surprises there. Um, you'd mentioned a growth in Spanish wines, which parts of Spain are emerging. You know, certainly uh, Rioja has been around. But what would you like to see on the list? You know, if at the meeting they said, okay, Sarah, what are we putting on? I mean, what would make you happy? That's a great question. I don't know. I mean, I, I, Love the expansion of our like Galician section. That's been a region that's always fascinated me. Spain, again, um, but, yeah, but I but very specific. Oh, yeah, sort of. Yeah, sorry. Um, I guess you know what Not I, I went to Galicia is very specific of right, the other wines of Spain. Right, right. Um, you know, I went to Corsica like two years ago, um, and. We do have a couple of Corsican wines on that are delicious. Um, Papatucci and those guys. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah, and the Siliciano, and you know those those wines are just tasty and, and delicious. Yeah. And it's they're you know island wines, right? So um, the whites, the reds, and the rosés are often really compatible with a lot of our foods. So yeah, a lot of a lot of. I think to your great. point, and you pull Corsica out. There's a handful of cool regions, you know, that are making wine. So it's not that easy of a question to answer. All right, let's talk about Calamata's Kitchen. It's a very special project of yours. You know, in all the research I did, I'm like, here's the easy question. <laughs> Explain what it is. Sure. It, it, it's a book, but it's evolved into more than a book. It, it's a, a thing. So yeah. tell me about that. So Communist Kitchen as a company overall seeks to introduce children to uh, diverse cultures and experiences through adventures with food. Um, and we looked out at the sort of landscape of, um, of kids, foods, and food and parents, um, and there's a lot of instructional things on like how to get a, for how to, to, for a parent to get their kid to do something like with food, to trick them into eating broccoli or whatever. And in all of those instructional things, which are obviously very useful as well, there, we just noticed that there wasn't anything speaking directly from the child's perspective. So my business partner, Derek Wallace, actually had this idea to create a character um, that would be the vehicle to tra translate stories and lessons, um, but from a child's perspective. And that's how Kalamata and her sidekick, alligator pal Al Dente, were born. Um, and so it started with 
we decided we wanted to write storybooks. Um, we now have three out, um, the third being with Chef Eric Repair, um, and they're adventure stories. So Kalamata gets whisked away by a food memory of the chef, um, and she creates her own adventure. And through that, she learns how to taste different foods, how to experience different um, cultures and cuisines. And the, the lesson of every story is that she wants to come back and share that with her own family. Um, we also do restaurant guides. In different, we have 15 live in different cities where we target restaurants that uh, create special food experiences for children. Um, they treat the kid as the same way that they teach treat their adult patrons. Um, and also, the food's delicious for both kids and adults. Um, it sounds like, and tell me if there's any of this, I mean, it seems obvious to me, but I could be wrong. There's a little or a lot of you. <laughs> Was that you to any extent? That curiosity and just looking at the world through a certain lens? You know, this being food. I mean, yeah. how much of how much of that is in there? Well, I always say that Kalamata is like way cooler than I was as a kid. Um, but because uh, well, if you were born today, you'd be cool. <laughs> you just weren't cool then. You know? I was not cool then. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, no, I yeah, for sure. I mean, I I definitely grew up in a very food rich household. Um, and my, my parents, as I said before, are South Indian. My parents are both amazing cooks and amazing hosts. Um, so the smells of the kitchen, um, the smells of cooking, we traveled, whenever we traveled, all of our, our vacations were centered around what we were eating. Um, that's all very much, that very much influenced um, how I felt about the world to the point where I've made it my career. Um, as I grew up, I realized that I was very lucky to have that, um, particularly in Western Pennsylvania. It's not a normal thing. Um, and so I, you know, a lot of this is my way to get back into working with children and to maybe expose a, an, another generation of kids to what made my childhood so special. Right. Um, so you're using food as a bridge. Correct. To, you know, the experience, the diverse experience. Exactly. Um, you know, People love rock stars as role models. Guys like Aldo Soma are role models. But I guess you put a chef as a role model here. Exactly Why? right. Why? I mean, not questioning. Explain why. Sure. Um, well, take a chef in a, in a... I mean, of course we know our rock star chefs, right? But take a chef in a small food community like Pittsburgh or That's Portland. That's the gist of what this is all about to yes. some extent. This is community building in a lot of ways, and we see chefs, especially in small food community, in smaller communities, as community leaders. Um, and as as you said, kids often see athletes and rock stars as their heroes. They're very inaccessible heroes. It's an amazing thing for a kid to be able to go into a local restaurant and see a successful business owner um, and also like artist in a lot of ways, leading a team of people and changing the communities around them. And that's how we wanted to portray these people as community leaders as heroes, as people that kids can look up to and also meet and emulate. Um, and, and they're around. They're around. You can go in and meet your heroes. From a diner That's pretty cool. to a fancy restaurant. Exactly. To a burger joint and all of that. Exactly. Um, interestingly, the project got off the ground as a Kickstarter thing. It did, yeah. Um, that was. How was it presented? Like when you. F if you went on Kickstarter and you saw this, you go, Calamat is what? You know, what? What, what was the pitch on Kickstarter? The pitch I, on Kickstarter was pretty much what I said earlier. Was, and yeah, I mean, it was. As a book initially and community. Yeah. Well, it was launched with the book. Right. Um, at the time we launched our Kickstarter, we also had our products. We had. Um, Excuse me, we had the aprons, we had little chef's tools, we have roll-ups for kids, all really high-quality chef's tools. And so 
initially I think that that stuff was pitched and people thought it was a specifically a cooking brand um, that like Kalamata's Kitchen was a cookbook right um, which in hindsight we can see why that was the perception and it's morphed in that direction to some extent we only we have one recipe per book but really it's it's never been the center has never been um, on kids cooking per se right. it's more about seeing, but even outside of the book I mean yeah you know it, you talk about cooking and of course. Well, yeah. we we talk about cooking as an activity that right. for family that. bonding time, and um, it's it's more about all food experiences, whether that's eating out or eating at home or cooking something or going to a market. Um, right. That, but yeah, that was sort of my point. Um, what is next? You you the Eric Repair book's been out how long? Not Did that long. It? May I think. Yeah. May. I mean, yeah. This spring. Yeah. So it's still this year. What's next? More books? Bigger community building? I mean, where do you see this yeah. thing if I sit with you a year or two from now? Well, I mean, fingers crossed. There's a lot of things uh, on the table right now. Um, we're definitely, thank you, we're definitely building out our travel guide in a big way. Um, so we've been doing a lot of outreach Good to... response to that? Yes, I mean, it's you been gravitate awesome. towards that because of the response, right? Yeah, exactly. Good. We've had, we've had parents, are, that's a real need that we identified, that parents who like food themselves want to know when they visit cities where to eat but they also want to know where they, they want to eat that they can also take their kids. Right. So we provided a resource where we've gone in and actually asked the chefs and restaurant owners, do you like when families come here? And these are and they've, all, they've been like, cool. yes, we wish more people knew that. So we're providing that resource. We're also hopefully developing into um, maybe a television show, um, potentially, uh, definitely, you know, more books. Um, but yeah, this, there's a lot going on. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't do a podcast. <laughs> hey, maybe that too. Yeah. Um, I don't want to step on any toes. So, two things. If people want to know more about Kalamata's Kitchen, where can they go? Uh, go to kalamataskitchen.com. K-A-L-A-M-A-T-A-S. Kitchen. Not dot kitchen. Com. Dot com. And the book, Get Anywhere? Amazon, Amazon stores, and on our website. Your site. Yes. All right. So that's Kalamata's Kitchen, a very exciting project, Thank obviously you. from the heart. Um all right, we're going to wrap up, but I'm not going to let you get away without doing your portion of the wine list, okay. okay? So we ask everyone five questions. We're splitting them up. I added a sixth one, so it's two each. So here's one of the questions. What are you drinking now? What, what, what's in your fridge? What are you tasting? What's seasonal? Anything here? I mean, what are the few things? Um, well, I'm so busy these days, I haven't really been drinking a ton at home but I do always have champagne at home because so champagne yeah always have something and then um you know when I'm when I'm I'm only ever really home for like a night usually with my fiance like and we'll try and cook at home and he loves like light juicy reds so I actually do have a bunch of Corsican wines give me an wines. example of what you guys define as light juicy reds even um, specific to the maker sure what do we have I had the Guimaro Mencia actually we okay. just talked about we that's uh, always have cool. that um, Castello di Verduno um, Pelaverga um, the Domaine Ustiliciono Antica and these are all like pretty inexpensive bottles right. um, always have Beaujolais around um Especially like See, getting into this struggled weather. a little. You gave me ten different examples, <laughs> which is what I was looking for. All right, last question: um, favorite wine restaurant and/or bar Ooh. outside of here? Let's let's put this top of the list. Great restaurant, great wine list, great wine people, great you know all of that. But if you were go to hang somewhere, um, 
whether it's just a bar or a restaurant, what comes to mind? And I always worry, don't you're not being exclusive. If you leave somebody out, that doesn't mean you didn't like them or you don't go no. there. But what, what, who does it well? Well, I mean, I think one of the the great values of New York is there's just so many like such like incredible wine professionals here. So I I try and like seek out where where like those people are. I mean, the the wealth of knowledge that is at Racine with Pascaline and Arnaud um, is just. It's I a, mean, it's it's a show favorite. It's unbelievable. I just you love know, once going she was there. Once Tomato was the same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and I just feel like we're very lucky that she and Arnaud are both like there all the time and like on the floor I mean to if have she's a, ever there she's like herself. traveling the no. world I think she's in South I've been America lucky. I've caught her the last few times I'm there and yeah. she's, she's always such a generous um, anything else teacher. come to mind yeah I mean if I want to like revisit my natural wine roots a little bit I always go to Gloria Phil Johnson former uh, right sommelier here. here at the He's wine a bar former, uh, and, yeah he was a, he was an opener, opener at the um, at the Aldosan wine bar and, and has Gloria in um, Gloria's a seafood restaurant on the west side in the theater district yeah in Hell's Kitchen um, anything else you don't have to. I don't go out very much. Okay. Well, <laughs> we understand. I, I, mean, I actually also really like going and sitting at the bar at the Modern. Right. Yeah. I love when Michael Engelman was there. And it'll still be in Still a night. great team. All right, Sarah, we're going to wrap up. Thank you for sitting with us. You have a lot of stuff going on. And like I said, I'll post um, your wine list answers and info about the book just to remind people so thank you to sarah thomas for joining us on the great nation thank you so much for having me are you enjoying this podcast heritage radio network has plenty more my name is jenna liute and i'm the host of eating matters here on hrn Join me as I talk to food systems experts about the issues that shape our experiences of buying, cooking, and eating food. You can find Eating Matters wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Marie Ponsonette is a sommelier at Le Bernardine and now a winemaker, releasing her first vintage of Collet Merlot. Collet or Colette? Colette, Colette. please. All right. <laughs> Welcome to the Grave Nation, Marie. Thank you. All right. So you... You're one of the people at the table that have been literally surrounded by wine in your upbringing and your family. Give us a little background on your journey in life and wine that got you here to Le Bernardine, which you've been doing for a while, and then your personal project, Colette, which Merlot will talk about and taste a little later on in the show. So tell me how you got here. Um, it hasn't been that straight forward, actually. Okay. Uh, yes, I'm born in a family of winemakers in Pomerol in Bordeaux, uh, surrounded by vineyards. Uh, I'm the eighth generation of, uh, of uh, winemakers in this family. And um, I loved my childhood growing up in this vineyard, being part of all the vine cycle, being part of the harvest, being part of the stress also <laughs> of my father right. worrying all the time. But um, I didn't study wine at first. I studied communication, I studied marketing. And then I, I, was already, I was already in Paris, I moved to Paris. And then I actually missed wine a lot. And I didn't find my job interesting enough or my <coughs> studies interesting enough and I needed to apply them to something that talked to me. And it's how really I, I, I considered wine again and I needed to, to go back to my roots. So. I worked in the wine events. It was still on the marketing side, but it's how I met 
so many this wine makers. This is in Paris makers. still? It was in Paris. It's still, okay. yes. It's okay. a private wine club of right. business uh, businessmen that love wine and they are, they are collectors. And they meet every month to meet winemakers. So literally we had French winemakers coming to Paris every month to talk about their wines, to also to talk with the chef about pairing. We were, we were working with a, um, three Michelin stars in Paris. So it's really how also I reconnected with wine meeting uh, other winemakers than Bordeaux winemakers and outside of, uh, of my roots in Bordeaux, being in Paris. Right. Um, but the funny thing is, you were, kind of, you were in the business world, but it was, you were in communications, events, radio. I mean, that's a fun part of the business. It it's is. just you had that yearning to go back to wine? Yes, because it's, um, at some point, you know, you keep talking about wine, and you don't make it. And uh, I mean, to me, maybe because of my roots, something sounds f- like fake uh, right. to me. Uh, I was almost at my right place, but not enough. So it was great to talk about wine, to, to do all of these fancy events, but right. I, needed, I needed to go back to, to my real roots. And I went back to Bordeaux, actually, to study more uh, wine uh, for a year and a half. What what did you do specifically? What were it you was studying? still it was still marketing oriented, but a testing part was really important. It was with a business school, but they had a, this dedicated service for wine. Right. Did that deem useful to you? I mean, was that worth? Uh, I think actually uh, practicing and being on site in a winery is the most the best experience and the most right. useful by far. Now, when you go back to the family winery, your dad and sister are still there, right? Yes, my, so my dad, yes, he grew up there. Is Well, paint a picture. It's very, you know, wine could be a glamorous industry or item, but, <laughs> I mean, your dad is basically a farmer in a very rural area, right? Completely. I mean, just I mean, set that up for me a little. I mean, what's it like when you go back? I love the image of my father. Is uh, I mean, he's civilized, huh? Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I never said it was uncivilized. I just said there ain't a has, lot of people around. He has, you know, he's a, he's a really funny person for Bordeaux uh, landscape because he has no cell phone. He has no emails. We do have a computer. Still? Still, yes. Wow. And he don't want to. We once forced him to have a cell phone for uh, hard conditions, to have, right. to have a cell phone on him. He always left it in his bedroom, you know. Right. So um, he, is a, he is a strong strong mind. He grew up on the vineyard. He, he makes wine since, since he's 14 years old. Uh, he knows everything on the vineyard. Uh, but my sister came in 2009, early 2009, because, you know, you need also fresh blood and new energy and new perspective. So he was the happiest man in the world. To have he was him. very happy to see oh, her come. Completely. That's so nice. Completely. How old is your father? He's 72. He's still a young guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I love to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and do you go back from time to time? I mean, I'm trying once to... You don't as much as you'd like to. I'd love to, but yes. Whether it's I harvest can. or... Yes, I'd love to go back for the harvest, but... Yeah. Uh, it's not that easy, unfortunately. Right. Um, and then, when do you come to New York? Yeah, so I came, uh, I moved to New York in 2013. Not that uh, long ago. No, but uh, yes, and I started with a rest at a restaurant called Le Colonial. Still there, isn't it? It's still there. Yeah, Vietnamese Fre- French. Yes, yeah. and uh, thanks to one of the owners, Jean Goutal, I had my first visa. To, to work uh, in New York. And I was doing a little bit of everything, including the wine buying. And it's really how I got to taste so many different wines. Sarah was mentioning the massive exposure we get in New York. 
And I was completely amazed by all of those wines. I had no clue. I felt so naive at first. And thank God I started with this uh, step at Le Colonial to just be silent and do my homework and get to know people. I had no clue who were, what, what people were doing, or I, I really was ignorant at first when I moved here. So wow. for a year at Le Colonial. It's funny, you literally have wine in your blood from growing <laughs> up, but when you come to the real wine world, there's so much ahead of you, right? Completely. Especially in the New York. Yeah, because, and I, you got to realize, you know, French people, we can be sometimes a little self-centered, no, no offense here, but I got to realize also that uh, Bordeaux or French wine are not the only best wine in the world. So right. I knew it, but I was really facing it moving here. What, um, and then just take me to the end. So you're at Le Colonel for a couple of years. Yeah, a year. And how does the Le Bernardine Aldo thing come about? I'm, so thanks actually to another sommelier, um, Renée, she was actually working uh, here for a, little, for a short time. But it was right before the wine bar uh, opened and she knew the team was not complete, although was still looking for sommelier. I didn't have the classical sommelier background, but I was really pushing my knowledge and myself right. to the wine industry. And I, I gave my resume. So I had an interview with Aldo and the management, and I was with Sarah, I was part of the opening So team. you and Sarah were here at the opening? Yes, since nice. day one. You two buddies. Yeah. Um, that's and nice. we, we celebrated actually last week the fifth uh, year anniversary right. of the wine bar, so it was something. I saw that. Um, and how long did you stay at the wine bar? A year, and then I started full time at Le Bernardin on, on the on that floor on Le Bernardin's floor. How does that happen? Somebody dies or gets fired <laughs> or quits? I mean, how does a job no, I, open up? I keep bothering Aldo. You did. <laughs> yeah. the, the, when, you, when the wine bar opened and you guys came in, and obviously I'm talking to you because you're all great guys, did he expand the team just because the talent, or the team was always the size that it is now? As At far as the amount of sommeliers. I think we have a slightly more today, but it's, it, I, it was uh, you know almost the same number. But luckily, Bernadette is so busy that you, you need a big team of sommeliers. So this is your fifth year, almost to the month? Yes, you know, exactly. August, September, whenever you came. Um, that's a nice thing in this business. Um, I'm curious because of you had the luxury of working or living in the family winery and working in Paris for years. Do you see much of a difference between the wine scene in Paris and in New York? Uh, I do even so even if I was not totally totally working in a restaurant in Paris, so I was not... But you were around But the I scene. saw them. I was, so, absolutely. you know, wider view. So I think I can compare, and um, uh, the humility... I mean, New York is... New York has is strong, and I think you have to really fight for it, but um, New York still has humility and curiosity about wine, uh, which sometimes... I don't want to be critical, though, but... You know, we have so many traditions and classical tradition and frame in France that we can just sometimes forget to look around. Right. And here you have no choice that, than looking around because if you're behind, your next guest will tell you, do you know this wine? And you have to be a little bit, uh, you cannot know everything, but you, you have to be a little bit ahead of it. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that with Sarah. You have to accommodate that classic wine 
lover who expects that, but also your clientele is looking to you for the next thing or you know things they've heard about outside. Um, when you got to Paris and even New York, I mean, did all you know about was Bordeaux? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a uh, silly question, or no, even Merlot. <laughs> I love the question because yes, pretty much. You were not I'm, trying, or there was not much exposure to anything. It's it's. So uh, you had mentioned La Cola now. Le Colonel was, was a great exposure great, right. because I got uh, suddenly I got this ti- this title of uh, not sommelier. I didn't want to be someone I'm not. I, I'm, I am not, but wine I had service. this title of wine buyer. So it was fantastic to be invited to all those tastings that you have weekly. Uh, but when I moved to Paris first, I knew only about Bordeaux. Started to then expand a little bit, still to French wine regions. And then coming here, it was like uh, a shock. What, what do you remember being the things that you wanted to try the most, knew the least about, or excited you? I mean, what was it Burgundy? Was it Champagne? <laughs> I mean, what... I think at what, first what it really was... turned at, on? At first, I think it was, it was Loire Valley. Really? Yes. For the, but I mean, when you come from a wine region, especially Bordeaux, you know, you, you drink Bordeaux and you, even, even winemakers between them don't really host wine dinners. It's a very different wine region. It has right. beautiful qualities, but also uh, not every winemaker lives on site in Bordeaux. So it's not the same wine culture than in other French wine regions. When I moved here in New York, I think uh, tasting so many Loire wines, uh, this diversity, this beautiful expression of the terroir, no makeup on it, really true to them, really blew my mind. Do you still feel that way now? Yes, completely. I mean, your palate has opened to many more wines. Yes. The Loire was something early on that... Totally. And also, you know, definitely the influence of Pascaline starting to... I started to meet her. I saw also, I listened to her. It was definitely uh, not shaping my mind, but opening my eyes also to Loire. Then, I, Sarah mentioned it earlier, but I fell in love with Corsican wine. I fell in love with Canary Island wines and all those regions that started to have... to offer good values and identity. The Canary Islands, it's crazy what they're doing there. We had the Envenate guys on. Oh, nice. And, you know, they're just walking up and down these hills. They're, they're in the middle of nowhere. They have to fly on planes. I mean, it's just... But the wines are very, you know, cool and very nuanced. They're very nice. Yes. Um, I, I had asked Sarah and Katya sort of about the same um, topic here, but I wanted to ask you, at Le Bernardine, you're surrounded by a strong, supportive cast. You know, how do you pronounce her name? Maggie? Ma- yeah, Maggie. Maggie. Maggie and, you know, Aldo certainly is very much into, uh, you know, diversity and appreciates women in the business. Do you think, and there's, and I asked Katya this too, do you think women in the wine business are treated equally like men? Do you feel there's been any disadvantage, whether it's working here or, you know, launching a wine business? Uh, I feel like... Talking with my experience, maybe we are a little spoiled here, but we have definitely uh, managers, Maggie, Aldo, who are not doing any difference, right. you know. The only time I may have feel a difference is when I was pregnant on the floor, and it's, uh, it was absolutely fine, and all the management was fine with that, and it was one of the best experiences, actually, that I had. I didn't know I was that strong. But I didn't, I think maybe because it's New York, 
and it's modern. It's it's so it's so. I, I think I think this culture, because of Aldo, and I think New York. Um, you're right. I think there are still issues, you know, in the industry. It's I'm, still male dominated. Sure. We still see more male wine directors, right. for sure. Was is there much of a difference between here and? Europe, France. I think so a little bit. Yeah, still, still it's starting to more. move. Uh, in a, we can compare to big, uh, big star Michelin star places. I, I, sti I still think it's more male dominated, yeah. Yeah. but moving, moving slowly, moving forward. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely happening. You know, I hear that from all my guests. I also think you know because we keep it's a topic that comes back so often. It's funny also over the past year we we had often this question. But I also think it really uh, depends on the on the person, uh, male or, fi or boy or sorry, man or woman. It also depends on what you want to to share as message. I don't I, feel I, oppressed. Right. You know, Sa uh, Sarah is, is from uh, as is. I think it originates from, from within, and you know, yes. out, and then luckily, if you're in the right culture, surrounded by right people, the True. right people, you, right but it people, comes back course. to you. Yes, I think you know, so. How so. you approach things, how strong you are, how you view it, how you handle it. I think that's that's a very good point, and I think, you know, in life, that's kind of where it starts. Um, all right, I wanted to talk to you about Colette, which is a very uh, interesting project. You got to sort of segue into this with the classic American question: Why Merlot? <laughs> yes, it was it risky to do that. No, you know the whole <laughs> sideways movie thing and the shift know, away from Merlot but and when Pinot was Noir. That? It was what 2004. Okay. Yes. yes. It's already 15 years. Can you years. believe we're still talking about that? But yeah. I love that, actually. But that's old news, so you know. If I, made, if I decided to make Colette, it's not to talk about Sideways. I, right. I watched one, one the movie. Well, but it's definitely something that triggered me a little bit. That, that's true. Um, Merlot, I'm very much attached to my roots. And actually, it came stronger when I moved here. I, I valued them much more. And I was... I was almost so ashamed to not realize earlier that I had this that I had this chance to grow up on this in on this terroir like Pomerol. Here you do have still a little Bordeaux bashing in New York, which is still happening, but definitely less strong. It's been going on for a while. Yes, when I moved six years ago, it was still strong, and you know a lot of Bordeaux jokes, and I'm I'm all good with that. I can I can be part of it too, but I was um, everything also continued with the stage I did in 2015 at Sandy and Domaine de la Côte in Santa Barbara. Raja Park. Yes, and Sashi Moorman. Sashi. And their uh, winemaker assistant, John Faulkner. I had, I had to meet such an amazing team. And really, so I, I thought I was ignorant, but I was even more ignorant when I started the internship with them. So it was Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Also, so many grapes that Raj always wants to experience, but... I focused on Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Uh, it was fantastic, and to see them approach as well. And after this stage, I started to joke and not joke at the same time, but telling Raj, I think we should do a Pomerol style, at least I'm in a Bordeaux grape together, but from California. He was laughing at first, but uh, never, never say never, you know. And he found the vineyard. It took two years, so and he found the vineyard. When the idea first hatched, it took two years to then, find yes. the, 
the vineyard, the terroir, to match what you wanted to do. Exactly. And what were you looking for? Uh, the the ultimate condition was to have organic grapes to really find. So in Napa, we were we were, at first we were not uh, we were not too specific on the area, but um, it happened that the grape we wanted, the quality of grape we wanted, we we found them in Napa. And the condition was... Which is not famous for organics or biodynamics. Exactly. Napa. It took us a while. It yeah. took us two years. You know, they need to make that shift. They are, but... They are. But it, yeah, it takes yeah. time, as you know. So you found a... So we found uh, a little bit of grapes, Merlot, organic, uh, that we were, we were able to buy two tons at first. Uh, and the first vintage is 2017. So just, right. just released now. And how much of it did you make? It's about um, 1,100 bottles. So it's, wow, it's so... It's very new. Colette is starting small but has ambition. And uh, So what about 18? Did you make an 18? Same. We, di we did make 18. Right. So it's still uh, aging right now right. In, in barrels. So same quantity. Same quantity. Um, same um, vineyard site. So same same size actually, um, but from 2000, 2017 we had a vineyard, and then we found in 2018 a vineyard that really matched it even more our requirements. Much more volcanic soil, a little bit cooler area in Combsville, exactly. So two farmers are working this soil and are doing an amazing job to rejuvenate the soil. So 2019 this year should see a little more yield. Not in a bad way, I mean, right. just just yeah. vine happy yeah. and giving a little bit more fruit. Are you okay with, if the quality is up to par, you want to increase the yield, right? I mean, you would it, like to make as, more wine. Yes, right? of course, but as long as it's, um, it's true to the vines, we, would, we won't do something, right. you know. Right, that, that, that's... Especially Merlot can be tricky. The, the, the edge is to not have a, a flat Merlot, lack of complexity, so... The yielding part is super important with Merlot. Um, let's go backwards for a second, because an important part of this wine, and certainly your part in this, you know, project is Raja Par. Mm. How did you and Raja get together initially? We, Through the biz or yes, introduction? Yes, yes, I mean, when I, was that point? No, no, that's interesting because it, we met at the La Pole in San Francisco. I was still at Le Colonial. Were you both working it or you were just tasting? Yes, okay. both working it. Uh, it was my first poly. I was still at Le Colonial, so just moved, uh, fresh from, uh, well, freshly like arrived. That's like 2000... It was 2013 or 14. I mean, in, I moved in 13. Probably 13, right. And uh, one of the after party, you know the after party of, yeah. of La Pole, that's the best. Famous. <laughs> one of them was at RN74. Rush. And I was... Rush, like yes. And I was there, and I was tasting a lot of wine that he was pouring, passing along so many glasses. I was so lost, but everything was so delicious all the time. And I was, who is this guy? Who is this guy? I didn't even know because, again, I was, I was just, you know, I was freshly arrived also from France. And then we exchanged our card because we, we started to have this uh, discussion. We exchanged our contacts. I came back to New York, and I was like, I'm sure I know this face. I know this face. I know this face. And, you know... When you're so new in a, in, a, in, a new, in an industry, I didn't even dare to ask who is this guy. 
So I came back to New York, I looked at my books, and I saw his face on one of the covers. Right. I was so embarrassed. Right. <laughs> so it's okay. it, it, it He's the type really. of guy that, that doesn't you know, bother. He's such a grounded But person. it was really how we met, and, and I love actually that it was really with no hidden intention behind. It's funny, for all you kids at home, Raj Parr... Yeah. I don't think he has any wine certification, and he's considered one of the best palates in the business. So you can get there in many routes, you know, whatever you want. That was important to him. But he became a winemaker, but he's a great taster. Um, so what is it? Is it like your mission to make Bordeaux uh, the great wine again? Because like you said, it's fallen out of favor to Burgundy for the big collectors, <clears throat> even though it's important, you know, Barolo is a big deal now. Natural wines are a big mm. deal. Um, I think, uh, and convincing Raj, <laughs> you know, to do that. <laughs> that was a big deal too. Yeah. He's making Cabernet Sauvignon now. Yes, He's making I saw more Bordeaux grapes. He's actually expanding into <laughs> other stuff. Yes. Um, it's sort of a unicorn in the sense that it's you, it's Raj. There's not a lot of wine. I mean, if people want to try to get it or taste it, I mean, what are the best avenues for them to go down to taste this? Where can they get it? Um, so it's already, so Le Bernardin has it. Okay. So it was actually, I hope so. Yes. Yeah. I <laughs> wish you told me earlier because Aldo walked in. I would have tackled him if he didn't have it. And I didn't even push too much, so I was really happy he bought it on his one. <laughs> Thanks to Katia as well. So it's at select restaurants. Yes, so it's in restaurant already in New York. We're working on having the wine in wine stores right now, okay. so it should happen in the next few weeks. Okay. Um, we had a little part allocated to direct sales, uh, so from the from the winery, which sold out really fast, but it was so small. Is that your site or was that Raj? If people want more information on the wine, where can they go? Is there a uh, to me? Yes. Okay. And uh, Marie at ColetteWine.com. Okay. That's <laughs> so anyone interested in drinking it or you know being involved with it, retail or on site, certainly reach out to uh, Marie. Um, and the 18 will hit the market. Uh, it's it will stay a little longer in barrel. Should be bottled around May. Is that too? because of? What you tasted on the first wine, it would be better in barrel, or it's just be uh, yes. Yeah, so this Merlot needs time to to develop for sure. Uh, it's beautiful to have this impression of fruit of freshness, but we need also to work on the tannin. And on the next vineyard we found from the 2018 vintage, the tannin are definitely right. a, a present. So we need to work on that, and and but it's great structure. Uh, also because we get inspiration a lot from my sister in Pomerol, we actually just talked a lot and we not applying like word per word but we're doing a similar way right you have the luxury of, of tapping into your sister yes. your dad and all their experience um, what's been the most frustrating thing about launching the wine and what's been the most joyful the most frustrating is uh, to not be able to be on site as, as much as I would like. Because of what you do. Because, yes, and yeah. it's all, also, we have... Uh, but I have no offense at 1,100 bottles. You better have another job, <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> what, what's the joyful thing, seeing the product? Uh, just, yes, have, seeing the bottle, the everything, you know, the label on it, 
the name, the uh, I think, but I think yes, yeah, so opening the first bottle, mm. so much joy and stress and nervosity at the same time. That that was that was something. Do you see your path similar to Raj's? I mean, do you see three, five, seven, ten years from now you morph into a winemaker, or you would like to do both? I think I would. I want to do more winemaking. I would not, I think, experience too many grapes. I like to focus. Right. I'm a little exclusive, you know. And well, it's I, a nice thing because of your family background. And, yes, and I, you know you could juggle both. And I and need focus time. On that. All right, so that's Colette wine. Um, we're going to taste it in a minute, um, but before we wrap up, we do a thing called the wine list, where we ask all our guests questions about their preferences. I split it up amongst you guys, so you each have two questions. The first question from Marie's wine list is, what is your favorite all-time wine or wines? Now, when I first asked the question years ago, it used to be the most expensive, rare. That's BS now. It's, it's, it's the wine that created an experience or something. So it could be anything. That oh wow experience. What's your favorite all-time wine or wines? This is so hard. Then tell I mean, me whatever comes to your mind. Okay. Um, but I would say I would say actually Corsica. Corsica. Yes, because uh, getting so also all the wines you've tasted, Corsica is right up there on the top. Yes, because okay. I don't know Just with the food, it out. with the food they have something and they they, they are so unique. Uh, so it's the it environment, was, the food, the wine. Absolutely. That, it, see, it, that's uh, important. That's experience. For me, it it's does, not uh, just an 80, 61 Petrus. No. It's, it's the whole package. A, a wine that really blew my mind, if you want a name, and uh, a yes. big name, it's Ikem 39. Okay. That I had the chance to try, and I was, wow, if only people could taste Ikem right. like this. That's a special. It's, it's how it makes sense. Was but that considered a great so vintage 39? or that I don't remember, honestly. It was, right. But the wine was still showing beautiful right. and, and fruit, and it was it was great. But for me, the more I go, what I enjoy is the wine I can drink every day, and that gives me pleasure, surprise, and, and complexity. And I can find them in, in beautiful Corsican wines. Nice. All right, last question. Where, where do we find the best value in Bordeaux? Like, where does the average consumer, is it the smaller um, chateaus? Is it white? I mean... You, um, I would say right now, there is something interesting uh, about Fronsac on the right bank. Okay, that's what I'm looking for. So the Fronsac region, F-R-O-N-S-A-C. Yes. The and, wine's uh, coming out of there. Why? So it's not a new region, not at no, all. No, I know. It's just that you know, no, I people, know. people. I'm sure are a lot of people new. who drink Bordeaux didn't never heard of it. But. So right bank, dominant of Merlot, can be sometimes a little rustic. Used to be very rustic, but if you but if you look for the good production style winemaking, you you start to have really interesting wine. Not everything is imported yet, so this is I get I get but the good chance. Good value. Good value. They're not always. They're not always. expensive. You have, uh, you know, in Pomerol, you have Chateau Lafleur, owned by the family Guinaudot. They do have wines. They Fronsac. do have wine made in Fronsac. And they do also make a fantastic white wine, but it's labeled Bordeaux. It's not labeled Fronsac, you cannot. And, uh, and those type of persons really understood the terroir. It's so different than any other part of the right bank. You have to really to adjust. That's how you answer that question. So... 
wines from uh, Bordeaux, from Fronsac, good value, some good wines. Yes. All right, we're going to wrap the show up, but the reason we're talking to you last is I would like to raise a glass of the Colette and taste it, and let's evaluate it a little. So tell me a little more. 100% Merlot. 100% Merlot. Uh, 100% destemmed, so de-stemmed. Bordeaux style. Even if you feel a lot of freshness there, some people had an impression of uh, of uh, not this stem, right. but it is this stem. And uh, cold soak for five days, and then it's just little remontage, little pump over, manual. I mean, it's only one big taronso food right. of 20 hectoliters, so it's uh, you do manual pump over, and it's basically infusion. You you don't have uh, yes a lot of extraction or right. it's very gentle no sulfur a little bit at the bottling um, but it's uh, it's on the raj and sashi way you know low inter- style yeah low intervention what about right organic farming minimal intervention in yeah. the cellar um, what about aging what's it aged on Wood? It's uh, wood, yes, but new not old. no new oak. It's actually Pinot Noir. It's Domaine de la Côte barrels. It's their barrels. Yeah. And are those French or American? Do uh, we know? Yes, they are. Fr- they are French. It's French oak mostly. Uh, do they? I think they have Camus from France, if I'm not wrong. And um, but yes, it's French oak, and it's aged for 22 months, almost two years. All right, let's give it a taste. So. We're wrapping the show up. I'm sitting with Marie. I'm sitting with Sarah, and I'm sitting with Katya, and we're all holding a glass. <clears throat> so every week, we taste a different wine on air, and we're tasting the 2017 Colette made by Marie. All right, so let's give it a little sniff and throw it over the tongue and see what we get here. Okay, let's talk color first. When it came out of the um, the uh, Got the name of the thing already? <laughs> the Corvin. The, the Corvin. When it came out of the Corvin, it seemed a little more pale, but it, it's kind of deeper in color. What the color? Is this a classic Merlot? Is this a little lighter? It's on the. It's maybe on the lighter side okay. than classic not Merlot, but not too light. Classic Merlot would tend to be uh, darker, more purple. We do have a lighter red right. here. Right. Nice let's, uh, let's put it under our nose and give it a sniff. What um, what do we get on the nose? Classic Merlot descriptors, a little different. I'm gonna go I around the table and come to you less. Okay. What do you get on this, Katya? Oh, dark berries like. Um, dark berries. Yeah, uh, cherries, but um, I mean. Cherries. Is, dark cherries. Yes. Not the yeah, red cherries. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? Definitely like blackberry. Black. So, so that classic generous, dark. Yeah, generous. Do you aromatics. agree, Marie? Oh, totally. I love this. All right. And I would add a little floral violet note, yes. which is really... Yes, on the violets. I'm happy to find it today. In let's the tell me, let's taste it, and let's talk about the mouthfeel. So I would say it's a medium. Mm. What would anyone else say? Is it less than medium? Is it medium plus? Where? What kind of mouthfeel? Medium. I'm on the medium. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Feels nice in the mouth. All right, let's talk palate. Do the nose descriptors translate to the palate descriptors? What do we get on the palate? I do find the fruit again a little bit more spicy due to the oak aging, but very subtle. Even with the violet, there's a spice factor. There's yes. definitely dark fruits. Um, I like that. I like that we have a little angular structure. Yes. Um, we, you know, getting to know also further and further the vineyard will improve also. 
you know, the, not the style, but the length, the complexity of it. It's beautiful up front and the middle was also palette. Maybe we'll gain a little bit more length in the future. It's still very young. Right, so. it is a, a very young wine. Um, what, what would you pair this with? What's a good food pairing? You crack right. out a couple of bottles, you have a chance to cook for some friends? Yes, no, I, we, we, cook, you... we cook a little bit. Uh, I already had Colette on pizza, it was amazing. I already had Colette with duck. It was great. So simple. I wouldn't. Go, I wouldn't go for too many spices. Right. But uh, definitely duck. Um, but also you can do certain fish with that because we are on the delicate side of mm. Merlot. So I work a lot with fish. Uh, nice charcuterie if we want to make it easy. Uh, this is. Um, this is. I think because of the acidity. This is a uh, one easy to pair. Quite. It's easy. funny because my last taste. I picked up three things. The acidity, which I mm. liked for food, um, there's that positive vegetal quality. Yeah. I wouldn't say like green peppers or whatever, but there's something good about it um, mm. that's there. And typical where wine is going in Raj, it's restrained, but not, you know, it's it's got everything a Merlot should have, but made really well. It's a very nice wine. Thank so you. That's the 2017 Colette. Good luck getting it. Yes, right. thanks. Um, all right, we got to wrap up. Thank you, Marie Ponsonet, for joining us on The Great Nation. Thank you, Sam. Let me do a quick wrap-up. We'll say goodbye to everybody. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Subscribe to The Great Nation on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation, on Instagram, or at my site at SBenRuby and the hashtag The Grape Nation. And on Twitter, we're at BenRuby, no S, and the hashtag The Grape Nation. As I said during the show, we'll post Katja, Sarah, and Marie's wine list answers. Those are some fun answers, good info. And for the weekly wine sip selection, which was Marie's Colette wine, I will post a little more information on that. Um, if we want to follow you guys on social media, where do I follow you, Marie? Marie Ponsonnet and Colette Wine. Okay, P-O-N... No, uh, P-O-N... No, you're good, you're good. P-O-N-S-O-N-N-E-T. Oh, perfect. Ponsonnet. Sarah, a little different. E-S-S underscore... which is phonetic for... S underscore Thomas. Um, and is there a site for Kalamata's Kitchen? At Kalamata's Kitchen. Okay, that's we spelled it earlier. Um, and Katya? Uh, Katya underscore. K A T J A underscore. And an S C H A R N. Sharnagel without an E. Okay? All right, guys, I want to thank you very much. This was very special for me because you're terrific guys doing terrific things at a terrific place. And it's a lot of fun to, uh, you know, talk about everything. And I wish you all good luck. And hopefully I'll come back here again. But also see you on the outside. And good luck with everything. Um, thank you to our guests, Katya Sharnagel, Sarah Thomas, and Marie Ponsonet. Thank you to our engineer, Jeet, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Great Nation. The Great Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. 
enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.